We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Howdy, Roth. How you doing, man? Uh, howdy, howdy, Drew. How are you, partner? Yeah, Pimmitad. All right. That's, that's right. That's it's country and western week here at the distraction. No, nothing. Our guest, Travis Tritt. Yeah, yeah. Right in time for the election. It's uh, it's Carrie Lake. Yeehaw! No, I don't, no. Our guest actually one week late. It's Rohan Nakarni. Hi, Rohan. Guys, there's a lot uh, of elephants in the room we actually need to address today. First of all, yes, I was supposed to be on the podcast last week. I may or may not have forgot the day I was supposed to be on, and may or may not have been awake during the recording of this podcast. But even more importantly, you know, I thought if there was any podcast that was going to kind of ignore convention or platitudes it'd be this one and the last time i did the show you know we did the classic oh we'd love to have you back on again oh we should definitely do an all sandwich podcast and so you know i waited by my phone all summer being like okay today's the day they're going to do the sandwich pod we all love sandwiches and it just never happened and i you know i just I just thought you guys were different. That's all. So are you saying that you were lashing out by sleeping through our recording? <laughs> I think I was actually awake through the recording, but my phone was on Do Not Disturb, and I just went for a walk. That's fair. No, I think <laughs> yeah. yeah. And actually, you make, actually you make a is... fair point though, because I think that to a certain extent, you know, the hurt people hurt people thing, like it's not wrong. <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. yeah. So I will. So I'll go ahead and put this out there. Um, we have uh, after that last podcast, uh, Quiznos Corporate reached out and threatened my life. <laughs> <laughs> they said I disrespected the pepper bar, uh, I see. and apparently the punishment for that is very, very severe. The uh, the good news, uh, Rohan, is that we can still talk sandwiches this week because we're going to talk about the Nets who are a shit sandwich. And there you that go. Completely- oh, wow. Wow. look at that! Yeah. Wow, because you're going to be part of our NBA preview last week, and it's honestly a good thing you got your calendar mixed up because way more NBA shit has happened in the <laughs> yeah, past right. seven days than before we did that fucking episode. So let's talk. <laughs> First off, with what the fuck is going on in Brooklyn, if we can even decipher it. And by the way, this is where I pause to tell you that for SF Gate, my other job, I've spent the past two days watching in its entirety the anti-Semitic film that Kyrie Ooh. Irving uh, <laughs> promoted on his Twitter feed that kicked off this whole shit show. Can you? I, the thing that has blown my mind most about this, because Drew's been sharing little little bits and bobs and highlights from it over the uh, extremely long time it has taken him to watch the entire movie. Dude, Can it's three and a half hours. Dude. how long this thing is? It's three and a half fucking hours. When it I longer than Godfather 2. I'm the one who pitched it because I was like, hey, <laughs> let me, I'll watch that movie. How long could it, like, I was like, oh, it'll be 90 minutes. Like a documentary is never really all that long, unless it's like fucking like Showa. It's not going to be that long, right? Well, turns out that, uh, the uh, the opposing side of Claude Lonsman in the documentary realm, <laughs> they say. have a lot to say as well. So it was three and a half hours. Were you worried at all about getting red pilled? You know, going steering right into the skid here. Quite, Just... quite the opposite. I was, <laughs> I, I am like so far from taking a red pill after watching that. There shit, was but... a lot of concern among the staff that Drew is going to become a, a white koofy guy. <laughs> I mean, that that happened a long time ago, but uh, so anyway, but, so let's go back to because as of this taping right now, um, we just got away from the Nets. They 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 did not suspend Kyrie Irving. Um, they started him in the first game. The broadcast team for that game was hideously evasive about what was going on. Steve Nash was fired uh, not soon thereafter uh, or soon thereafter. Kind of a. 
kind of a firing himself situation if you listen yeah, to him talk about I, it. Yeah, I guess. And then uh, the suspended Ime Udoka is poised to come in as the head coach after being suspended for the entire year uh, by the Boston Celtics for sexual improprieties that we still don't know the nature of. But he's going to come in. He was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'd like to handle this. And I just want to read for you, Rohan, before we talk about this, a quote from Kevin Durant uh, after they lost to the Bulls lat on Tuesday night. Um, he said in about the Nash firing, he said, you're always shocked when a move like this happens, but it's normal in the NBA. It's about getting ready for the game tonight. It's a quick turn in the league, especially during the season. You got practice games coming up, so you can't think too much about it. It was on my mind for a little bit today. This from the guy who asked for Nash to be fired during the offseason, and the Nets said, no, Rohan, but then they did it seven games in. Yeah, this is uh, a sort of boondoggle they got going on in Brooklyn here. There's a lot, obviously, of ways to get at this. I mean, first of all, I thought it was absurd that they did not suspend Irving. Um, Charles Barkley spoke about this on Inside the NBA. You just know certain episodes of Inside the NBA are going to be legendary, and they delivered Mm -hmm. last night. I I love Shaq and Barkley both, both calling Kyrie an idiot. Yeah. Um, pretty satisfying. (laughs) Very like weirdly, very satisfying. I think what's really starting to bother me about the nets is like, they just keep trying to insult our intelligence. You know, Joe Sai, who is, I guess, reportedly, allegedly, let's say to be safe, like helping to run a, like a surveillance state in China that is like massively harmful, uh, to a large part of the population there. He tweets after the Kyrie, tweet this is bigger than basketball which is now the catch-all phrase for someone who wants to say something that sounds really deep but but is completely meaningless and so he sends that tweet but what does that mean exactly in this context like they didn't suspend irving and then not even a week since he goes this is bigger than basketball they go after udoka now i agree this is a the situation there is complicated only because it's so much innuendo and speculation and no one really knows what truly happened. The Celtics were not transparent about it at all. Right. The reporting on this situation has left a lot to be desired. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. But it, it just, I'm starting to get to the point where I wish the Nets would just come out and say, it's our job to win basketball games and nothing else because they keep trying to put up the front. Like, you know, at the end of last season, Sean Marks said, you know, we need guys who are going to be here every day, like taking a shot at Kyrie for not taking the vaccine, like blah, blah, blah. They keep trying to pretend like they have any sort of value at all, but they're so desperate to save a team that's not even good. Yeah, they're fucking terrible. That's the part of it that I was talking to Diana Moskowitz about this right before we came on. She, it will be up by the time this podcast goes up, wrote a a really good piece about uh, the Kyrie thing and and just sort of how it plugs into the broader story of anti-Semitism as expressed by public idiots over the course of, I guess, like, I don't know, half of human history. It's been a, been kind of a long time yeah, uh, that we've been on this. Yeah. But the thing that keeps, like, that she was, like, sort of shocked by was that, not just that they weren't doing the right thing, because it's, like, to a certain extent, you never really expect that from a professional mm-hmm. sports team. But it's it's the point that you guys just both made, that they're, like, they're bending over backwards, they're doing all of this stuff, they're trying to do the like box ticking stuff where you like get somebody from the anti-defamation league to like hop on a zoom. And then like <laughs> yeah. maybe the next step is the thing where like you send Deshaun Jackson to the Holocaust museum and you're like, hey, here we go. Like we yeah. did it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And 
in this case, it really has this feeling of like, it's not worth it. Like the team's not working. You don't have to pay Kyrie next year. Like if you're not going to make the playoffs this year, or, you know, even if you are going to make the playoffs and get fucking swept out by the Celtics again and have it be depressing for everybody. Like this isn't the hardest decision to make because what are you really risking? Like this is decently easy virtue. Just like fucking do right for once. Well, that was the thing that was so interesting last night, or, I, you know, I should say early in the week. Um, what was the thing that was so interesting earlier in the week when Shaq and Chuck were talking about it? And I don't give enough credit to Chuck when he says, like, good, normal shit. Like, I'm usually only paying attention when he says something really just sort of retrograde and just old guy complaint bullshit. But <laughs> Ernie Johnson sort of interjected into that discussion. He was like, well, look, they're still looking into, you know, discipline for Kyrie um, for this movie. And by the way, I should note that, again, I watched the movie and <laughs> there is... And it changed. There and, is, you, and you thought they made some interesting points. I was going to yeah, say. No, like, half an, not all, yeah. I didn't agree with yeah. everything. But. Half, an hour, like, half an hour in, there's an open... There's a there's a scrolling list. There are a lot of scrolling lists in this movie. And, <laughs> all them are, and they perpetrate the five falsehoods that the mainstream media has um, promoted about the Jews. And I'll list them for you right now. Um, you don't have the, to do that. No, the first that, one Drew. is that... Uh, the Jews are God's chosen people. They say that's a falsehood. That Christ was a Jew. That six million Jews were killed in a Holocaust, not the Holocaust during <laughs> World War II. That all races are equal, and that Jews are just another religious group. So it's one odd thing about the movie, or it's not that odd because it's utterly incoherent, is that they never address their Holocaust denial again in the like three hours after they bring it up. But those are the spe- that's the specific thing we're talking about. That's the thing that Kyrie should have been suspended for, whether he watched the movie or not. And he definitely didn't fucking watch it. He definitely it, did not watch it. I was going to say, he claimed to have watched it. I'm like, there's, I just have such a hard time believing it. Dude, that. I right. watched it and I don't even know what I saw. So, I like, at you this know, point, and- the people that have seen the movie, that have actually watched the movie carefully, like, Maybe in the entire United States, it's like Drew and Pablo Torre. Yeah, like it's <laughs> yeah. all it's all just journalists. Like yeah. I've done it, and like Rolling Stone have done it. So, um, so Ernie's like, "Well, look, they're still looking into displaying him," and Charles was like, "No, it's too late. Like everything now is going to be for looks. It's going to be for mm-hmm. optics." And so, the Nets had a choice at the outset to simply do the right thing at like at no cost because they fucking suck, right? But they didn't, and so now anything that they do after this will essentially look like damage control and probably will be damage control, Rohan. Yeah, and and it's also, even if they somehow end up doing the right thing with Irving, right? Whatever that we consider to be the right thing here, they are committed to kind of having some kind of conversation with him, some kind of education with him, helping him. Because at the kernel of this, and, uh, you know, credit to, like, Nick Wright, who I think spoke about this on his podcast, there is, you know, I think at the heart of this is, you know, he's right to be kind of skeptical about the history he's been taught in school, which we largely know now is, like, how whitewashed that is. Yes, of course. Yeah, there's there's a kernel of this that you understand where he's coming from, and maybe the Nets are committed to helping him with that education, you know, getting the right things in front of people, helping him understand why what he's doing is hateful and, you know, making him spend uh, 10 games away from the team while they undergo this process. Wow. Like that would actually be great. Right. But, but even if they somehow manage to pull that off, which they won't, they are also hiring Ime Udoka. Like, right. they, are, they are also like, but, 
uh, you know, it's almost like, how can we, instead of how do we make this Kyrie thing right? How do we do the one thing people want to talk about more? And it's like, let's hire the guy who is suspended for a year because of a sex scandal. Yeah, well, that's the whole, I mean, there's a lot of, of things to sort of point to here as being like sort of broadly speaking, organizational failures of disastrous scale. Like that all of this is just like, this is not a, a team that is functioning at a extremely mm. high level of competence. But in all of this, I think that the the whole like what about aspect of this has always it's like always kind of a challenge to this where it's sort of, mm. you know, people get punished for. And this is a point that I think Charles Barkley made on Inside the NBA where it's like, you know, people that say homophobic shit during games have been suspended and fined by the league for that. Ditto Myers Leonard. uh dropping a random Jewish slur on a yeah, uh, can I just say can I just say Myers Leonard like I'm kind of convinced this is not to excuse him in any way just to like how absurd that situation was like I'm convinced he'd only ever heard that word while playing Call yeah. of Duty oh I'm inclined <laughs> to agree I don't think that Myers Leonard has maybe met a Jewish person like probably <laughs> has he went to a yeah. big school can I but can I ask a, a question that I've been wondering ever since I was got stoned a few nights ago? Is Call of Duty a good game? Like, is it fun? <laughs> like, I, I think always think I, I always think of it as like, oh, it's the red pill game, but like, it looks no, fun. no. I never got into shooters like that, but I think it's supposed to be pretty sick. Okay, all yeah. right, all right. I'm I I not a man. There's of There's like game. a thing in the game where if you get enough kills in a row, you can like drop a nuke. Which hey, I would like, in college, I, awesome. in college, I was always trying to get my friend. I was like, "Bro, you got to get this twenty-five kill streak." I want to see. I want to see you drop the nuke. Yeah, perfect. It's actually really heartening. I mean, it's different games because I'm older, but the being the type of person that watches your friend play video games and doesn't really play it, and is like, "Yo, you should try to drop yeah, a nuclear exactly. bomb right now." Exactly. Like, yeah, it's good to know that we have yeah. that that in common. I, I don't. Let me finish about... my thought on oh, the on ahead, the bro. other bit though. Yes. That, like you have no credibility on standing up for anything that is ostensibly bigger than basketball if you don't stand up for all of the things that are bigger mm-hmm. than basketball. And I think that this is like, it's been the thing that's been sort of hard to answer about the way that people have talked about Kanye sort of seeing his life fall apart because of his commitment to like 8chan style anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. which, you know, not to be a wine snob about bigotries, but there is like, there's different tasting notes than what Kanye is on. <laughs> yeah. It's a different sort of like, intellectual tradition if you want to use that word but the point that people have made that i think is sort of hard to refute is that kanye was saying anti-black shit for years Mm -hmm. and all anybody really said in regards to that is this guy's kind of an asshole huh and it's the other it's you know sort of steering into something older that made it seem you know and then that creates sort of conspiracies of its own the way to get around this sort of criticism is to fucking be consistent, have a series yeah. of beliefs and adhere to them. And I wouldn't encourage like, you know, brands, sports teams do not like have uh, tenets because they're not people, uh, they're businesses. But the Udoka thing relative to this in such close proximity speaks to, to I think like not just a failure, but like even if they did the right thing with Kyrie, I wouldn't believe that it was for the right reasons because of this, because of how close these two things are. And so even though there is like this sort of theatrical process that you can go through, all these different steps you can describe to, you know, begin to make things right. uh, I don't think that the Nets know what right is in this case. And like, that seems pretty clear at this point. Actually, I have a, something I've been thinking about that I'm curious what you guys would think about, which is, 
I think like none of us are naive here, right? Like this is something that I, <laughs> probably before I worked at the old Deadspin, I, I maybe would have believed. But, you know, I think all of us understand, like you said, like this is a business. We don't expect them to have actual, you know, values or anything like that. I don't have and- values as a fan. <laughs> I just want to yeah. watch them play kick-ass basketball. Like I right, which is right. So then, you know, there's a degree to which, like, how are we enabling this, et cetera? But something that always bothers me when something like this happens is we all know what the Nets are doing are wrong, right? And this kind of goes back to when every NBA team during the George Floyd protests released a statement that was like, "We condemn racism." And I was like, "Did you really need a statement, right, to clarify that?" You know, we it was you know they put Black Lives Matter on the court, and I think a lot of us were like. Okay, they're they're kind of trying, but no one really buys into this. And you know, there were reporters who you know did the stories about this is where their political donations go to, and are they actually going to do anything about you know their relationships with the police, etc. And you know, so fast forward to here, where the situation with the Nets and you have people being like, "See, like we told you, the NBA wasn't progressive," even though I see more. The NBA was never actually progressive takes. Then, like the NBA is still progressive takes. You know what right. I mean? It's kind of like they're yelling. <laughs> right. yeah. It's kind of like they're yelling at someone who doesn't exist anymore. But, but I was told Steph Curry shouldn't couldn't shoot. Right. Yeah. It exactly. One hundred percent. Yeah. Right. I, I'm just curious what you guys think because I feel like another weird thing that this creates is like this like form of Twitter contrarianism slash like Substack brain. That's like this is how the world works. Like, what did you expect? And it's like, am I supposed to not be upset about this? Is that right. what you're saying? I totally agree. And it's the hardest thing, especially in terms of writing about it. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not to say that you should, like, you should be outraged about all of this. Like, that is, I think, like, the proper response to it. And then, like, Mm -hmm. you have to understand why it's outrageous. And then, you know, you carry those values forward and that's how Mm -hmm. you live your life. That's fine. It's hard to write that. And it is Mm -hmm. also hard, I think, if you don't actually have those values and you're in, like, what I think the Substack brain part of this is where you're just purely about reaction. You're responding mm-hmm. to someone else's response. Yeah. And like, you know who your enemies are and you know who their enemies are. And so you come to sort of think of them as your friends. But at no point in any of that is there like an investigation of why mm. uh, you might think a certain way or feel a certain way. Like it's not attached to any sort of like critique or or ethos. And in this case, like... This is especially frustrating because this is an old one. This is kind of an easy one, you yeah. know, that like it's like you can say why this shit is stupid because it's been debunked for a few hundred years mm-hmm. pretty effectively. Yes. And instead what you have is like I think what Ron's saying, which is this this kind of like I mean, this is I guess maybe that we're getting this through Twitter, which is like designed specifically mm-hmm. for this type of communication, but this kind of like strident cynical but like otherwise like useless dead end sort of like speechifying shit like kind of like what i'm doing right now but like not cool and awesome (laughs) (laughs) that like that is like i mean it's the enemy of like progress in this just because like all you're doing is kind of subjecting someone to your own brilliance you're not engaging you're not like sort of moving any of it forward Mm -hmm. and like yeah like that sort of the idea of like sort of patting yourself on the back for noticing that things are shitty. Yeah. Been shitty. Like, right. Oh, all right. It's good like, for you. It's like you, you see takes that are like, Oh, like, did you really expect Yudoka not to get another job? Like he's so successful. And like, we don't even know how bad it was. And it was like, it's not that I'm, I, I wrote this, but it's not, it's not like I'm surprised, but it's like, are you not like exhausted? Like you, so you're just, right. your plan is to accept it. I, I don't get that. 
It's just yeah. that people online, and it goes back. I mean, Roth, we were talking about this, um, you know, off the air. But you know, you you mentioned that, you know, Kyrie is someone who's so dedic- dedicated to essentially just being an online shit poster. That you know what he posts doesn't really matter so much as he defends his right to post it and <laughs> right. not yeah. question it. Because there's, again, there's no way he saw he's no there's no way he watched this fucking movie or there's no way to watch the movie without your eyes just melting in your fucking head while you're watching it. That's what happened to me. So, I mean, it's 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 very much a parallel where you have this sort of needless stridency that overrides everything else that goes on. It's only, The only thing that matters is that you're right or that you're proven right or that someone else is proven wrong. And we know, and I've written this a lot of times, that being wrong is like a really good thing. It's how you learn. You learn by being wrong. Also, Nobody oh, wants to be wrong, right. especially not fucking exactly, Kyrie and especially not the Nets. Yeah. I think that's totally right. And I think that the one thing, so whatever, you're, you're strident, you don't apologize, but then also that... Like, in lieu of, again, any underlying substance, that can look like consistency or have the same sort of function as consistency. And so this is where I think that, like, especially someone like Kyrie, who's, like, he's either the the smart kind of dumb or the dumb kind of smart, but he's not, like, an idiot. Or at he least, I mean, he's, like, morally be. an idiot. But I think that, like, intellectually, like, candle power-wise, it's not that he's, like, a dumb guy. He's just, like, he knows what he knows, and he's not, like, so in lieu of any sort of real thing to be consistent about he's just not going to back off of any position he's ever had uh speaking and of people so that puts backing, you in a bad spot oh i'm sorry speaking of people backing off as we are recording this it is possible possible uh that dan snyder is selling the commanders there was a report <laughs> from forbes that he had hired bank of america to look into it but that's forbes and forbes is like I, I trust Forbes about as much as i trust like king kaufman era bleacher report right now but <laughs> The, the commanders themselves announced that they had hired Bofa, and we got to say Bofa for this, <laughs> to consider potential transactions. And then Schefter tweeted, he, he tweeted a screenshot of that. And Schefter himself, the language that he used was, commanders announced that Tanya and Dan Snyder have hired Bank of America Securities to explore the sale of their franchise. And I don't think Schefter, as much as I fucking hate Schefter, like he is a puppet. So when, as shitty as it is that he's a puppet, I know that he, those words, when he tweets out that Tanya and Dan Snyder are exploring the sale of their franchise, I know he has been told to use those words, that Mr. Editor told him to fucking use it, and that he's not like, you know, that he's not just like going on his own little, like, sort of journalistic hunch by that. Did I ever tell you my Schefter story? No! Tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it. Wow. It's not, it's not that good, but it's, I think you would get a mild kick out of it, which is, in college, I used to do like a podcast that was like in retrospect, I, I knew it at the time, but wouldn't want to admit it, like clearly just a way to talk to journalists that I liked, including Tommy Craggs, who nice. then hired me at Deadspin. But I did a, I did my, my Schefter came on my college podcast, wow. like my daily Northwestern podcast. And you know, he did. We did it for like twenty five minutes. It was a, a pretty good get for me. That's a frankly. really long time for him to yes. not be texting. Not to say he wasn't texting while you were talking, but that's. I don't think he talks for twenty five minutes. Exactly, anybody. exactly. And guess what? It was in March, and after the podcast ended, he checked his phone and he missed a story, and it was my fault. And I think it was a Julian Edelman signing. And he wow. was like, 
he clearly was upset but didn't want to be mad at me but, <laughs> but was like, and i was like this is uncomfortable yeah he oh, was like so yeah i like I the idea that, that that was like the day that he swore he was like and i will never make <laughs> yeah. time for any young person in need yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's come back uh, after a break and talk about the nfl we'll be right back with rohan nagkarni of sports illustrated we'll be right back All right, so we uh, we are back. We're on Not Carney, and also um, the NFL went the full NBA this week by having a busy for the NFL trade deadline. My team trade for TJ Hawkinson, but the bigger ones, the bigger trades involved actually your team, Rohan, the uh, the Miami Dolphins, who brought in running back Jeff Wilson. But the big one was that they they went to Denver. They looted Denver for Bradley Chubb, who's having easily his best season to bolster their pass rush. Are you happy? with where the Dolphins are right now because they've got the two best wideouts in football and they have a really good young coach in Mike McDaniel and they seem to actually have an answer at quarterback into a Tungo Vialoa. I, okay, so my biggest pet peeve is I'm watching a Heat game the other night and Bam Adebayo has like 28 points on 10 of 13 shooting. We were talking about football, you I know, asshole. I'll, it'll, it'll, it'll get back to football. Trust Give me. Give him time. Trust me. He works on a different time. Yes. <laughs> and my my brother texts me after the game and he's like, Bam needs to be more aggressive. Or during the NBA Finals, I'm literally, <laughs> I'm literally covering the NBA Finals. And after game two, my dad's like, Al Horford didn't like, had this huge game one. What the hell did he do tonight? And I'm like, well, dad, like, you know, they changed up the defense. I actually asked Ime Udoka about it in the press conference after the game. And he's like, no, Stephen A agrees with me. Like, yep. he needed to shoot more. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's I, all really interesting, son, yeah. but he's Make not a no hooper. mistake. He's yeah. not a true yeah, hooper. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm like ready to pull my hair out. But when it comes to the Miami Dolphins, I am that person. I'm literally texting my NFL writer colleagues at Sports Illustrated, like, I can't believe you have us lower than the Ravens and the power <laughs> ranking. That's great. As someone who did power ranking once and knows how meaningless they are. I'm, I get so mad over that. I'm going back and listening to old podcasts where people are like, Two was a backup. Two was never going to make it in the NFL. Two was going to be, and I'm, I'm so NFL fan pill. I like, love the idea that you're just like on your spare time pulling this U clips from the middle of podcasts. Yes, yes, literally in my spare time pulling up stats like Tua leads the NFL in air yards per attempt. Completion, he's top three in EPA per Your retweets are all Tua endorsements. It's all Tua endorsements. It's all like Tua propaganda. It's all me looking up stats that I know don't prove he's actually good, <laughs> but I know I can use them in an argument in a group chat, which is a long-winded me saying I am fucking thrilled about what the Dolphins are doing, okay? I dare one of these tape nerds to tweet like, oh, they're going all in too soon, or like, the value of this draft pick, like, the, you know, no, listen, you need to be able to rush with four in the NFL playoffs. We all know that. They got Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb now. Chubb, I think one of these dumb stats that I don't know what it really means, but like number three in pass rush win rate, according to ESPN, you got, if they're going to, if they're going to have a chance to beat Mahomes or Allen in a playoff game, they're going to have to be able to rush with four. I think Tua has, at the end of the day, the conversation around Tua, what really bothers me about it is, and I, I understand this from someone who covers a sport nationally is there's just a degree to which you can never really be a full expert 
for every single team. Like right. you can do your best. You can identify certain stories, but you, you'll never be a true expert of every single team. There's maybe one or two guys in the, in the media within each sport who really do that. Like Zach Lowe, okay, probably, probably actually an expert on every single team, but otherwise people are doing their best. They come close, but Tua, it just was like, it felt like people ignored how shitty the context was like, Three offensive coordinators in two years. The coach hated him. The management tried to, you know, replace him with several different old guys. Like, about as bad of a first two years as a quarterback could have, not to mention coming off, like, his hip exploding while at Alabama, that I agree, like, physical tools, whatever. It's not surprising to me to see him succeed with, like, a good ecosystem around him. And so I'm fucking thrilled about the Dolphins. And I know I'm monologuing a lot here, but I just want to throw one last thing out there because I'm convinced. I know no one has watched this, but he gave an interview with Maria Taylor. The Dolphins were on Sunday Night Football, and he gave an interview with Maria Taylor, and he talked about his relationship with McDaniel. And this was the wildest thing I've ever seen, and I can tell no one has watched this because no one talked about it. But in the interview, he's like, yeah, Mike McDaniel's like the first coach to use positive reinforcement with me. Like my dad didn't. Nick Saban didn't. Brian Flores in it and he's like he's like he's like I literally didn't know that was an option he's like it's been life-changing and it's like <laughs> that's all it yeah. takes like that's all it took it's like for one NFL coach to try positive reinforcement and like look at what it's done for this one person no they had that with that um and I, and I swear I'm not gonna do this very long but um they had when uh, Kevin O'Connell was presiding over Vikings training camp and mm-hmm. would never yell at players and Adam Thielen told the press he's like I would fuck up and I'd be like, I'm not going to get chewed out for this? Like, shouldn't I be getting chewed out? <laughs> because O'Connell would just take players aside and be like, okay, here's how we correct this. But, you know, just to, you just you don't have to fucking say to a guy, fuck mm. you, you suck because you fucked up. You just say, oh, here's the mistake you made. Here's how to fix it. And so let's fix it. And that's it. And so it's funny that the new generation, like the greatest innovation in coaching that has just only come to the NFL this year <laughs> is like being pleasant. Yeah, like yeah. being a, a person that you would want to like share a workplace with instead of like yeah. Mike Zimmer being like, would you get hurt? Like a baby would get hurt? <laughs> right. What did you roll out of your bassinet, you big bitch? Like that's yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> like, of yeah. course that doesn't work. Um, uh, the past three Super Bowl winners, Rohan, they all made in-season trades prior to the deadline. And the big one was the last year with the Rams. Mm-hmm. And they traded for Von Miller in that course, put them over the hump. And they don't have Von Miller anymore and they fucking suck. So given... <laughs> that the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Eagles, who I think we all agree are the three best teams in the NFL right now, they did all make uh, trades right before the deadline, at least a week before. Um, mm-hmm. Can we expect the same result this season? Do you, do you Or do you feel like the trades elsewhere altered the competitive landscape of the NFL in any meaningful way going into the second half of the season? I don't think you could actually put any team above the Bills or the Chiefs, particularly the AFC. It's just the nature of football, especially in the playoffs, and you catch like a weird weather game or something, and there's so such few number of possessions within a single game that that's how you end up with the Bengals beating the Chiefs, right? Like, I don't think anyone at this point last year, I don't think at any anyone at any point, like even in the fourth quarter of the Bengals-Chiefs game, was like, oh, the Bengals are going to win this. Right, um, right. Yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. better. Like, even, not right. a thought. Even not when a thought it went to overtime. Widely. Like, even, exactly. Like, even when so, they... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So I'm just saying it's like, no, you'd be, you'd be an idiot to actually pick another team outside of the Bills-Chiefs-Eagles, but 
inevitably like some football team finds a way like the giants i don't think have been as good as a, a normal six and two team like their quarterback can't throw and they keep winning these one possession games but that's like what makes the sport so thrilling is that like you can win in kind of these junked up ways and actually end up having a decent season if your team like on all these advanced numbers is actually not performing that well on a per play basis. He's right. And it's a great example too. Yeah. Roth, yeah, uh, I, there are also teams like the Colts, the bears and the Panthers and the Steelers, and they all essentially held fire sales prior to the deadline that the good teams then took advantage of. Is this any different in your intuition from NFL seasons past or did NFL owners look at major league baseball and they were like, Hmm, we should do more of that. I really, I wonder, I mean, because I think the economics of it are different, you know, and so there's, it. you can't quite, like, dump out the way that, like, you know, a team, like the Mets falling out of contention in uh, 2017 were able to just sort of, they just traded basically everyone that they could for minor league relievers because they didn't, they don't know how to be a baseball team. That's not important. What I think is interesting to me about this there's teams that are sort of dumping salary or just like bailing on the season and, and looking to, you know, sort of put themselves in a position in the draft. That's one thing. I'm fascinated by what the Bears are doing because for the first time, basically in my life watching NFL football, I think I can kind of detect a plan there, which is unusual, uh, has not traditionally been the case. But it's like beyond trading good players, they also traded for Chase Claypool, paid a decent price for him, too. And seem like they're setting themselves up in a way to, like, have a meaningful offseason, try to do sort of what the Jets did in the draft last year, which is, like, if you have enough picks and you don't fuck them up, you can basically skip two years of rebuilding mm -hmm. if you get it right. And so, they, I mean, they have Bears have all this cap space coming, too. I don't understand how the NFL cap works, and I don't. The have NFL any doesn't in learning how to do it. I was going to say, like, there's a lot of other things. Like, I could learn a foreign language. I, I mean, I, I can. I, I can give you the Bears. I can give you the Bears. You could learn. You could learn the language from Avatar. Before I was going to say, could, I could learn like a hard one. Like, I could get yeah. really good at Portuguese in yeah. the time it would take for me to understand. You could, the, you could become a Navi in the time. Yeah, I can give you the Bears synopsis very quickly because the people, the guys that they did trade, Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn, both incredibly accomplished veterans. They did not want to pay them. Um, because they know they're going to suck shit for at least another year or two. They traded for Chase Claypool from the Steelers because he's still on his rookie deal. And so they can use him essentially to gauge whether or not Justin Fields is worth keeping. That, I think, is it makes sense on its face. But I kind of think it's already evident that Justin Fields isn't good and that they yeah. shouldn't keep playing him. But... You know, we had this maybe conversation yesterday. Speaking of, of dumb NFL conversations, Ryan, this was a big one in our work Slack. Was basically like trying to. It's um, you seen that video of the guys where they're like the wicked witch of the east, bro, and like one of them threatens the other one with a knife. That was basically us going back and forth about whether or not you could possibly evaluate Justin Fields' worth based on the teams that he's played for and how he's played. Well, well, and I think everyone agrees that the answer is kind of both. Like, he mm -hmm. does look bad, but the situation has been impossible. But I don't know how you get to an answer there. With any that is another thing that's crazy. And I'm this is, I'm telling you, like, I'm someone who does not enjoy talking about sports in my free time. Like, I was having an hour-long debate, like, in a group <laughs> chat. And I'm like, what have I become yeah. about Tua? And I was like, 
I, again, I was like, people just ignored exactly how bad his context was. And I was like, outside of maybe like two quarterbacks in a given year, every single NFL quarterback needs a certain level of competence around him to succeed. Even like Joe Burrow, who everyone loves, looked average without Jamar Chase against the Browns. He looked worse than Jacoby Brissett. And if he didn't have Jamar Chase's entire career, could he in- overcome like the inept coaching and shitty offensive line? Maybe not. And I think with Justin Fields, like, I agree, like, he's probably looked worse than maybe a certain number of guys would in this situation. But the situation is so bad that I don't know that you give up on the physical tools that he has until you can get in, like, a good NFL coach. I also think, you know, we talked about O'Connell with the Vikings, who's doing a good job this year. I think McDaniel, like, whether or not he succeeds long term, I think has, like, the right temperament. Yeah, he's the guy. Um, yep. To coach that... Like, how many good NFL coaches are there? Like, because, you know, like 80% of them are someone's kid. Like, do we even know? Like, <laughs> but like, right. but like do, do we even know that, like, there are 10 genuinely good, like, NFL head coaches right now? Because I don't trust the owners to, like, be making the right decisions, especially in a sport that is so complicated. And it's not like the NBA where there's so few guys on the court, like, you really need like a proper infrastructure here that I like, what do we think the number is like yeah. five? I, I actually, like I, I think it's, I think it's higher than you think, mm-hmm. but I think that it's, it's very difficult to your point. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like we were talking about this on the, the amp show on Monday. I can only tell whether a coach is good or bad when they're bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. I could, there's guys I could tell you definitely are bullshit and like probably shouldn't be coaching, but then there's like, all this other stuff where it's like, Cliff Kingsbury probably has a job one level above what he's quite qualified right, for at this point. Right, right. But like, does that mean that he'll always be bad? I don't know what it is. Like, I think a lot of it is like it's a it's a personality thing. Mm-hmm. And I think Mike McDaniel and Brian Dable, if you like put them next to each other on bar stools, might not have a lot to talk about. And yet it seems to me like there's an element there where they're like positive enough, creative enough, and like you don't want to say normal because all these guys are fucking freaks. And that's like the one thing that every NFL coach has in common. Like they just want to sleep on a cot in their office. That's like <laughs> yeah. actually cool to them and fun. But like, there's something about that flexibility of mind that I think is, that's the the one thing I can sort of point to. And you know, it's like, I don't know that Doug Peterson is a good coach, but he won a Super Bowl because he was flexible. Yeah. And because he was willing to, like, make adjustments. Well, so much of it is who you hire, too, because Mike McCarthy right. is a fucking terrible coach, but he hired a really good offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore. Or, actually, he was past Kellen Inherited. Moore. Inherited. Yeah. But a also... defensive coordinator, but, yeah. They hired Dan Quinn, who has only made it, you know, the best playmaking defense in football. And Micah Parsons became an instant Hall of Famer. Like, just right out of the draft. Like, his rookie year, he was, like, already Defensive Player of the Year contender. Micah Parsons feels like the kind of player, like, I only heard about as a kid. Like, there was this guy in the 90s. Like, you know, I didn't yeah. really get to see Deion. But, like, he's so that he guy. Could put, yeah, like, he could play every position. And, like, yeah. uh, like he's, a like, a real he's a real football player. You know what I mean? He's not, like, a Yeah, he a makes position. you start talking like Dan Deardorff. <laughs> exactly. He's, like, it's really hard not to, like, yeah, yeah, to be, yeah. like, smart about it. Because especially, this is the thing from watching them. I don't love the Cowboys. His name gets said so much during the game. Yeah. And not just because, like, somebody's like, I'll tell you what about Micah Parsons. It's like his hand is on every third pass. He's tackling people. He's pressuring the quarterback. Like, he's just, like, omnipresent in he's, this kind of, like, yeah. He's the kind of player that makes you want to call it the National Football League. Yeah. That's <laughs> <me>. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, your guy of the week. You remember a guy with us, Rohan? 
love. This is what I, I look forward to. I had time. a Ronde Gadsden lined up last week when yes. he was supposed to be here, but we already we we used him with Patrick. Redford. You remembered him. Okay, but I'm glad he was remembered. I'm gonna give you another dolphin, and it's a very easy guy. It's Jay Fiedler. Remember Jay Fiedler, Rohan? Oh my God! I believe a. Uh, an app pick for this week. I think he's in the Jewish Sports Hall he of is. Fame. Hey. He is Jewish quarterbacking legend. Um, Dave I, Brown I mean, could never. Yeah, I think that he's probably, even though Chad Pennington had the 2008 season, two is doing what he's done this year. He's probably the best quarterback of the 21st century. Um, took us to the playoffs on multiple occasions. Um, yeah, man, he could hoop. Jay Fiedler could hoop. Uh, I, he, he, I do remember them. I think he played like we lost to like the Texans in the first year of the Texans' existence, which kicked off like us losing to the Texans every year while they were absolute buns. The but... Texans' first game ever, they beat the Cowboys. So you know, <laughs> yeah, you're it a good happens. Company. But uh, yeah, man, I love Jay Fiedler. I-, I was a big fan from Dartmouth. Your uh, your fun bag question is from Joel. We'll 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 get to a couple of them. This is from Joel. Can I actually tell a quick story about another old Miami Dolphins? No, yeah, of course. Let, yeah. Let him do it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> um this just reminded me like I was like at some charity event in high school because you had to like get volunteer hours to go to college. Um so I was like volunteering at this thing on a Saturday morning, but I went because it was like there were some old Dolphins. There was like not old. There was like Dolphins players there, including Chad Pennington, who oh. was giving out autographs. And I tried to get Chad Pennington to sign this like little. It's like a little card of Chad Pennington. I was like, "Can you sign it?" Jet suck. Um, <laughs> and Chad Pennington. This was like, I, this had to be pre Twitter era, or like maybe Twitter had just started. But he was like you know what, man, like these things end up on the internet. Like, how about I just write go dolphins? And I was like, damn, Chad Pennington, like already wise to the viral. Yeah, game. What a bummer. Savvy. That's what happens when you play that long for the jets and you're constantly <laughs> covered by like the New York post is being like, should we kill Chad Pennington? That's like yeah. the back cover of the newspaper <laughs> yeah. one day. You start to learn who to trust uh, and who not. He's also oh, the man. best uh, best quarterback the Jets have had in their modern history. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joel in writes both in, cases, especially especially with the Dolphins, his arm was so shredded, yeah. like it was just <laughs> absolute California roll crab stick in there where it was supposed to be. Like, he still should have. Oh, he should have been considered for MVP that year, two thousand eight. But yeah, very Let's very go. brave. I think everybody kind of admires Chad Pennington yeah. a little bit. I, I I know I do. Hey, this is from Joel. He writes in Rohan. What is the best food to chow down on? What is the best food to chow down <laughs> on? Straight out of the fridge, no preparation, just straight fridge to mouth. I wow. took a, I just took a soup spoon to a Costco-sized carton of potato salad and it hit the sweet spot. Shred cheese is obviously another highlight, and cold chili is underrated in my opinion. But is there anything else I'm missing, Rohan? What do you love to eat straight out of the fridge? Oh my! You're a bachelor. God, this is such a good question. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, I am like a real sicko to the point where like. I was eating like some leftover kebabs the other day and I was like with someone I was like oh I'm about to eat the leftovers and what that means for me is I put them out on the counter for 30 minutes to tempt yeah. them. This is also <laughs> the lifestyle yeah. for me. I yeah. like that. Room temp is kind of kind of clutch. But I think it might be pad CU. There's like cuz oh, it's like, like it's it's sweet and it just gets a little bit sweeter and, it, and it's like now it's like even more of like a dessert savory noodle right out of the fridge Ooh. yeah leftover thai food is an extremely good answer there we've had and maybe this is just the with the places we're getting takeout from the noodles all congeal so if you're mm-hmm. trying to eat some of it out of the fridge it's you at fridge temperature. yeah it's just like a sheet 
of uh like gluten that you can then sort of like nibble on hideously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, but that's not very dignified. I like you mentioning Thai food. Uh, if you have leftover papaya salad, I think that that is one of those things that like mm. gets better before it gets worse. And just a little pinch of that, like in your cheek, like you're uh, an old timey baseball player, <laughs> fucking red man <laughs> lifestyle. Oh, um, that is. Uh, go ahead, Drew. Also, with respect to my personal mentor, uh, Yoda, going back for more olive. We love one <laughs> olive out of the fridge. <laughs> yeah, it's a solid yeah. experience every time. Yeah. Uh, you guys didn't mention Chinese food while you're going through takeout, and you know you get you get some leftover General Tso's chicken that you're eating right out of the carton. Yeah. When you're like that's when you're another one that you can do stoned at two a.m. Yeah. Uh, my oh, that's my answer is cold cuts. Cold cuts out of the bag. That's that's a, that's cheating. That feels like cheating. Why? They're designed for it. Oh, yeah. It's like it's literally already cold. You know what I, I mean? Also, yeah. well, go ahead. I like the idea of Drew being like, uh, I don't have time for a sandwich. Like I'm yeah. gonna have an hey, express Rob, piece of ham. Yeah, I don't. You know, what, you, you know what my favorite cold food to eat right out of the fridge is ice cream. Like, hey, <laughs> hey. Now you people are making fun of me, and that's mean. <laughs> I think you could have got. I was, I, I was expecting a better answer from you than cold cuts. Also, you know what's cold is your heart. Your heart is cold. <laughs> I barbecue is good cold. But. I, 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 yeah, barbecue is really good. I just want to once again reiterate like my love of. Every time I go home now, my mom's like, what do you want me to make for you? You've been away for months. You know, what What like favorite? So I'll be like, I want fried fish or I want prawn cutlets or these different things. And to me, the ideal ex- eating experience is eating them for dinner with the rest of my family. And then my mom will be like, do you want me to put these away or are you going to eat them later? And I'm like, no, I'm going to eat them later. And then four hours later, I'm on the couch watching a movie and then I go back for like slightly under room temp leftovers. And to me, that's actually the ideal of what we're talking about. We here. do that with our kids is that like, we'll make dinner and then we'll leave it out. Cause we're like, they're going to eat it three hours from now. Yeah. And then yeah. we absolutely do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jim writes in Roth. What's really going on with two in one shampoo conditioner. How can something <laughs> simultaneously remove and add moisture? <laughs> I have very short hair, so when I use it, I can't tell if it's doing anything special. Is it, is it nanotechnology or magic or bullshit? Are you a two-in-one shampoo conditioner truther? What is your thought on Pert Plus Roth? Well, Pert Plus, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to name names here. Start uh, pulling cards on different <laughs> beloved American brands. I can't imagine that it works very well at either of them. But I've never like reach the level of valuing myself to like care enough one way or the other. Like I should, I deserve to have like a shampoo and then a conditioner. And I do that now I've, uh, but I've never like spared a moment's thought on it. When we were in uh, Pennsylvania for the defector retreat, we did not have uh, soap um, in our, the place we were staying. So I bought just the cheapest body wash that I could get at the enormous supermarket that we went to. And that one claims to be three in one. You can use it <laughs> yeah. to, you can wash your hair, I was gonna you can wash your you. body, yeah. and you can wash your face. Uh, and that can't possibly be right. But I've used it to wash my body, and like I haven't had any complaints. You know, like there's not, like, I don't have like mushrooms growing anywhere. Like, I, so I don't know exactly like where the, the standard is here. I feel like if you can. Uh, find it in your heart to care enough about yourself to buy a shampoo and a conditioner that are not in the same bottle, you might as well treat yourself. But I can't tell you, you know, why necessarily beyond that, like, it seems like it's a self-care thing more than it is a a hygiene thing. I can tell you, uh, Rohan, that I once, when I was in middle school or high school, 
I was somehow bereft of shampoo. And so I took a bar of soap and I rubbed it on my head for my mm. shampoo. That and the uh, the end result was not pleasant. So I'm not I'm not I, I'm fine with two in one <laughs> shampoo conditioners and have used them. The three in one three in one's where I get a You're little it. that's where I get I a little I mean, listen, there was definitely a time in my life, like probably before I turned 10 years old, where I was just like, not only was I using a two in one, but I was like using the two in one for my whole body. I was like, yeah. this is all so. Yeah, this is yeah, all. yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think two in ones are definitely BS. I've, I've come around to like, I'm using a fancy conditioner. I'm using a fancy shampoo. I mean, Good for you. Part You're of it is it. like, I would like briefly freelanced at GQ and I got a little GQ pill from doing that. But it's nice. It feels really nice. I'm not going to lie. I, I agree that there's no way two-in-ones work. And in fact, I find it insulting. I like, you know, I, there's like, uh, this seems like an indelicate thing to say, but it, like a woman was visiting me and staying over and she was like, do you have a two-in-one or do you actually have a shampoo and conditioner? And I was like, I'm 30 years old. Like, obviously I have both a shampoo and a conditioner like how dare you ask yep. if i have a two-in-one like i found that so insulting you were like this is misandry i was like don't put me on tiktok as one of those guys who right. just has a two-in-one do not damn bitch you live like this to me please like i'm trying to <laughs> trying to be grown here yeah, exactly. i think that is that is a very i mean i'm older married whatever but yeah. the idea of like having someone in like who's like willing to come to your home with you, but then they also kind of think that you might do Travis Bickle behaviors, like <laughs> rubbing a bar of soap on your head. It's right. like kind of dark. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll give you. Uh, oh, I'll give you guys one more, and then we'll we'll check out. This is from Henry. He said during the Major League Baseball playoffs, it feels like every broadcast team got a memo telling him the same the same variation on the following as much as possible. This guy had a terrible regular season. But the thing about the playoffs is you start with zeros and you can rewrite the story of your whole season. <laughs> These broadcasts are so committed to this idea that instead of showing you a player's regular season stats that they accumulate <laughs> over the course of hundreds of games, they show you this player's stats for just the handful of games they played in the playoffs thus far. I hate it. Do other sports do this or is this a specific annoying thing that only baseball does? I only noticed this in baseball, but I've long hated it, Rohan. Uh, do you agree or not? Yeah, it's it's like their way of justifying what a farce MLB playoffs are, which <laughs> I, I like. It's such a joke in Roth. I don't mean to like dredge this up, but like, the Padres making it far as they did was, I think, embarrassing for the sport. Yeah. They shouldn't have even gotten past the Mets. Uh, I, I genuinely think that in MLB, just the winner of the National League and the winner of the American League during the regular season should just play each other in the World Series. Oh, you're one of those people. It's uh, just, it just is. They've diluted the Olbermann over here. They've diluted the product to the point where it's now call like call it a different thing or like or give out a or make the regular season better. Like every sport is going through this with an extent, and like there's a reason why Mahomes, as good as he is, has only won one Super Bowl, but. It's just, it's comical. It's like they have to continue to find ways to justify the fact that, like, yeah, we can, every sport, it's a little silly when we get narratives involved, but baseball especially, it's like, no, dude, we're all just throwing fucking darts. Like, this is so fucking yeah. random. Like, stop pretending like any of this means anything. You have to sort of embrace it if you are yeah. going to live with it. But, yeah, I, I mean, I it's 
the idea of like we have the longest regular season and then the dumbest postseason immediately <laughs> after it. Like you go through all this time, you've created like an actually you know representative sample so that you can sort of expect things, and then those things don't happen. When that happens to the Mets, do I cry? No. <laughs> do I almost cry sometimes? Like it's bad, but it is the sort of thing where you have to accept what you're dealing with. I do think though to the point that the question raises like uh that's malpractice it's yeah. stupid for broadcasting like it's cool in the sense that like when you look at like bryce harper's postseason line is absolutely as cool as bryce harper's postseason has been like mm-hmm. it's insane like his ops starts with like a one and like a four right now i think <laughs> and there's a period in between <laughs> like it's ridiculous but that doesn't necessarily tell you anything about how he's doing like i think that you the idea that just sort of you wipe the slate clean it's true that you sort of wipe the slate clean, which is why the fucking Phillies could win the World Series. Like, it's why you can get an outcome that stupid. But uh, it doesn't help the person that is viewing understand what they're seeing. Right, because I want to know whether or not the guy batting is good. And so just give me the regular Not whether seasons. they've been good in yeah. the last 40 at-bats. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because otherwise you're going to get shit like, well, here's Mark Lemke. He's batting 750 in yeah. the playoffs. Well, okay, good for him. But is he just a schmo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a fucking schmo. <laughs> this so. guy's batting 500 on two pinch hits. Yeah, like, yeah. Or right. like, oh, I, this is a very specific bug boo that I have where if I'm researching a football player during the NFL postseason, and I go to look up their stats, uh, like on NFL.com, the default stats will be their postseason stat line. That's fucking worthless to me. Yeah, it tells yeah. me nothing. I need your career stats. I need the regular season stats. It's the better sampling. It's very annoying. And Brandon Nix and Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. And you can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go read Rohan at Sports Illustrated while you're at. And subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at. And please, this is the last podcast we do before Election Day, go out and vote. Someone just tried to assassinate the Speaker of the House in her own home. And Republicans are like, that's funny. Ha ha ha. Please vote. It would be very, it would be a very good idea for you to vote. Rohan, you've been a lovely guest. Thank you. Thank you thanks, so much. Thanks for joining us, man. All right. Anytime. We'll see you guys next week. Maybe Rohan will be there. Maybe he'll sleep in. You never know. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.